You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to the Architect Podcast, Episode 8, for January 29, 2014. I'm your host, Russell Allen Willems. Today on the show, Chris Webster and I talk with Chris Cameron of Field Technologies Incorporated. Hi, good to be here. Hey, me too. Good to be here. So, uh, Chris Cameron, can you tell us a little bit about some of your work and some of the projects you're working on with your company, Field Techs Incorporated? Yeah, so <clears throat> we're, uh, we're a technology company. We were founded by archaeologists for archaeologists. Uh, we provide te- technical solutions to uh, to, to <clears throat> situations in the field, uh, and the whole idea is to let archaeologists do more digging and less paperwork. Uh, so right now, our main product is a phase one shovel testing app called Archaeogen, and uh, we're just trying to trying to get the word out about it. it we debuted it in uh, mid-November at the Southeastern Archaeology Conference. Oh, very neat. So Chris. Um... A little bit more about Archaeogen. You said it's a shovel testing application, recording application? Yes. Uh, so it's for iOS only, which we can uh, get into why it's only for iOS uh, in a few minutes. Uh, and basically what it does is it replaces your shovel test form on the front end. Uh, it's really designed to be productivity neutral in the field, though we have had positive feedback from people so far. And uh, the real... Uh, real values on the back end because all of your data will be um, compiled together from everybody. Uh, you get nightly updates uh, and all of your data comes in a, a spreadsheet format uh, in Excel, which means that it's searchable, sortable, whatever. But Excel also plays really well with other software, so you can import it to ArcGIS or you know just plop it into Google Maps, whatever you feel like. That's awesome. So again, you're you're kind of using the digital advantage to remove kind of the the transcription back end that a lot of us have to do when we get back from the field with, you know, a big sheaf of grubby shovel test forms. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know how many thousands of dollars I've been paid over the years by companies to stand over a photocopier at the end of the week trying to get, you know, crumpled, sweated on dirty paperwork to go through the feeder. Uh, which, you know, <laughs> it doesn't usually go, so you have to do it you know, one at a time. And, you know, when you think about it, then what does the PI do? They pull out their wheelie mouse and scroll through hundreds of PDFs uh, to see the things that they want. And so we're just trying to make that easier for uh, the people in the crew, you know, the crew chiefs, you know, they don't have to do the put paperwork in order every day. Uh, field techs, it makes their lives a little easier because, you know, you don't have to worry about the paper, you know, running out of forms and, you know, it protects you from yourself. We have some features in there, like you can't have shovel test B5 three times in a row. <laughs> and uh, and then the person on the back end can do some really powerful analytical stuff uh, that they can't currently do right now. Could you give a few examples of maybe some of the analytical features? Because that's something we've been excited about by other applications is to be able to get data really quickly and make decisions based on that out in the field. Yes, so um, so it, it, it's pretty open-ended. It depends on what people are interested in. Um, because it's an Excel, you can you know write a quick, uh, a quick macro script uh, you know, in Visual Basic to, to 
figure out whatever you want to do, and we can help people do that. Though there's plenty of YouTube videos that will probably do a better job. Uh, you can do things like uh, see who digs the most holes, who finds the most stuff, who waited for both of them, who you know finds the most per hole per. Uh, you can uh, when when you have enough data in one geographic area, you can start mining it for a predictive model that's not just a reaction to water. Um, you can do things like uh, and, and you know that's some of the more complicated medium term stuff. Uh, on a daily basis, you can just do things like make sure people are digging on the right side of the road uh, because you're getting a nightly update and in literally two minutes you can import it into, you know, just Google Maps for internal consumption or for report ready, you can, you know, plop it into ArcGIS or something similar. Great. So you do have kind of a, a workflow then that goes along with the application of, you know, go out, collect data, and then maybe the crew chief or the PI back at the hotel that night or back in the camp that night is able to download that data and put it into some sort of analytical engine, like you said, either a map on Google Earth or ArcGIS? Yes, so it depends on people's specific needs. Uh, and we, we basically help them figure out how to get, we give them the data, and we help them figure out how to get the goal that they need. You know, if it's better oversight from the office, um, then, you know, we can teach them how to do that. Um, so, you know, we, obviously we can't put it into whatever software they have for them because we're not there. Um, and, uh, and and different people have different needs. Um, right now, we're uh, in the process, hopefully by the end of the day, knock on wood, we'll be signing a, a university that's interested for a field school. Um, you know, and they have different needs from, uh, we have a, a job coming up for, uh, where the DOT is the client uh, and the, the contractor obviously has different needs than the field school. So, you know, some are, the field school is interested in figuring out who is productive, who needs the most help to figure out how to go faster or find stuff more reliably. Whereas, um, you know, our contractor that's going to be working for the DOT in a couple weeks, you know, they're much more interested in, you know, what drives the report. <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the report drives the field work for them uh, rather than, uh, you know, just to, to see who does what. It's, it's really more about the results. So, so different clients have different needs, and we, we just try to help them uh, take the information and make it useful to them. That's neat. So with kind of different clients and different needs, different use cases, uh, even shovel test forms, this is something I found quite a bit, uh, no firm I've worked for, no state I've been in has the exact same form when it comes to recording archaeology. Uh, could you maybe speak a little bit about the design process for choosing what fields that you include or whether you yes. tailor that to different uses? Yes, absolutely. So um, it would have to be a pretty big client for us to customize the fields. Uh, we can move things around real estate on the page if people want, but um, we are trying to standardize things and that we've been getting a lot of buy-in from regulators, uh, agencies that uh, use a lot of contractors, you know, forestry service and some DOTs, obviously some agencies outsource more than others. Uh, a lot of them have been really interested in the standardization across their contractors as so they can have three different contractors and all the data comes back looking the same, both the actual forms and the, you know, compiled data. Uh, so on the form, uh, we, I mean, we have the standard stuff, you know, project, area, you know, first initial and last name, the date, the crew, you know, whether or not the STP is a, a standard shovel test or if it's a radial or judgmental, transect, transect number, um, you know, whether or not it was dug, um, not dug, and for what reason, 
basic terrain choices, measurement units, you know, centimeters, uh, and most of this is in drop downs and most of it autofills from one hole to the next because obviously you don't dig one hole in centimeters and then the next <laughs> in tenths of feet. Uh, we even included inches because I did one time a long time ago work for a firm that uh, did inches and you know, God bless them. <laughs> um, so we, we included that. Uh, and then of course the stratigraphy is what you would expect, beginning and ending depth, the beginning depth autofills from the ending depth of the previous strat, uh, a horizon designation, soil color, um, which is an open field. Some people actually, most people do them on cells, but we do have a client or two that just types in, you know, reddish brown or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, soil texture, we have a little soil texture widget that pops up with um, uh, basically a button for the four choices, silty, sandy, um, you know, loam, clay, and, you know, you, you type in the combination that you want, and then whether or not there were cultural materials found in the strat. So, and of course we have a comments box for anything that's more open-ended. Um, like, we don't have a, a site number field. Or, um, you know, if people have particular uh, idiosyncratic needs that they want written down, uh, we do have the comments box, uh, and we prompt people to take a picture. That was going to be my next question, especially when you're talking about stratigraphy. If uh, it has the ability to use, even though the iOS cameras they're improving, but they're still not up to where you know even some of the more complicated Android cameras, or especially like a point-and-click or an SLR camera. Uh, so the app does allow people to take pictures because oftentimes that clears up a lot of ambiguity right there. Yeah, so we strongly recommend that people take pictures uh, for two reasons. One is the picture's just nice to have. Um, the second is, and this is really more of a workaround for people than a technical solution, uh, because there's GPS in these devices, uh, and uh, they're typically accurate to within five meters, um, sometimes less than that, but we, we just have it programmed in so that every data point will never say less. It bottoms out at five meters, so you can have more accurate than that, but we... For legal reasons, we don't want to advertise uh, consistently being more accurate than that. Um, but the GPS fires when people take the picture. And the reason for that is in early beta testing before we added the, the picture capability, uh, people would be filling out the last couple bits of their, um, of their form on the way to the next hole and the GPS would fire when they, you know, click done. Uh, so this just, if they're taking a picture, they're at the hole. <laughs> you know, and whether the hole is open or hole is backfilled, uh, you know, that's up to whoever is on site, you know, whether or not they care uh, if, you know, because that might interrupt some people's workflow to have to do it while the hole's still open. I personally <laughs> don't like taking a picture while it's open because I'm used to doing paperwork at the end after I backfill. Um, but, you know, just proof of work. But the, the big thing for the picture is <laughs> and make sure that the person uh, is actually where the GPS needs to fire. Neat. Chris, you had one question for the other Chris, Chris Cameron. <laughs> right, yeah, so you mentioned that you have, for a bigger client to meet their needs, you do have some ability to, to maybe move some fields or rename some fields to, the, to meet their needs. That tells me that, you know, you said this is for iOS. This must be, not be an application that's available on the App Store for purchase. Then they have to go through you guys, and, and how are you working that out? Like, what's the platform you're on here? Yes, uh, yeah, excellent question. So uh, we offer our software in two, two different ways. Uh, the first way uh, is we offer a hardware rental because not everybody has a fleet of tablets or if you have short-term work, you, it doesn't make sense to buy it. Um, and you can rent it from us. Obviously, the software is already installed. It's just an app. Um, 
this is not available on the App Store. Uh, you have to come through us to get it. Uh, if for our clients that want to do software as a service, they already have their own tablets, are happy to maintain, keep track of them, all that jazz, they just want our software, um, then uh, we offer unlimited licenses usually um, is, is the typical deal. Uh, so you can install it on as many devices as you want and we charge by how much you use it um, because the data comes back to our servers so just having the app isn't going to help you a whole lot because we get the data <laughs> and we have to recurate it and, and send it to you because we have to compile it from everybody and, and, and whatnot and convert it to a usable form because it does so not come to us in an Excel format. <laughs> right. So that brings up another question. I know um, I'm out here on the West and in I'm actually in Nevada and I was uh, in process of getting my um, BLM permit for California. And one of the questions they ask is about data security and data management, because I mentioned as far as part of my facilities that I save when I can, I have a lot of my stuff saved in Dropbox. So I record on tablets in the field and I upload to a, to my Dropbox account. And they actually had a problem with that because technically the data was leaving California to go yes. to Dropbox's servers via satellite. And then, um, and then they didn't have a problem with it going into my computer or storing it at my house in Reno but they didn't like it going out via satellite. So have you had anybody question so, you on that? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, remember we have more than 50 regulating authorities here between states and <laughs> right. territories and government agencies uh, that might right. have different standards than the actual state level regulators. So, you know, there's a real hodgepodge of regulations. Um, some places are like the Wild West here in North Carolina. I believe the regs for data storage refer to what kind of box you store your magnetic tape and microfiche in, uh, whereas then you end up in places like California, which I, I, I'm not sure, I would be curious to know if the burden, if the safe, the legal safe harbor is on them to prove that your server is located outside of California, because the server farm might very well be in California, uh, or yeah, if right. you have to prove to them. I, I obviously, I'm sure for business, for just a, a good working relationship, you know, you don't want to put the burden of proof on them. Um, we do have some places like that that just, for very idiosyncratic reasons, we can't do business until we have a workaround. Um, a good example is Arkansas. Uh, they are, for some reason, specifically exempted from the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, and so they have a concern that as a third party, we could be Freedom of Information Act requested <laughs> as a workaround if we're holding data uh, for wow. even a small amount of time. Uh, and, you know, if we have anybody that – when we start having clients in Arkansas, we will sit – we've committed to sitting down with them and then working out a solution. Um, it, so it that – yeah, because, yeah, I mean, so there's just, you're going to encounter stuff like that. California, unfortunately, is a huge market, uh, so it's, yeah. it's tough to deal with that. Um, but you, you just have to be committed to working with the regulators because there's, you know, otherwise, you know, it's not good for them, it's not good for you. So that brings up another follow-on question to that. And, you know, working out here in the West, I know it's a completely different animal because I actually started on the East Coast in the Carolinas, mm -hmm. Florida, Virginia, doing shovel testing and stuff out there. And I know, I know that a lot of the work out there is done on private land. So some of these regulations just simply don't come into place sometimes because it's on private land. Um, one of those being, like, for example, out here in Nevada, if we were to use that application, you have to be permitted by the BLM to access and record archaeological data here in Nevada. So technically, I think, 
these guys, unless you talk to them and were to explain to them what's going on, um, if we were to use your application out here and then you guys process the data, I think you'd need to be permitted by the BLM um, in your offices or whoever's seeing the raw data. Uh, in or it depends on what format you're seeing it in. If you're seeing archaeological site data from sites on BLM land here in Nevada, you would probably have to be permitted or on somebody's permit, which means you'd have to meet all the qualifications, which means field work in different districts in Nevada. It's all very convoluted. So, you know, have you had to deal with that back there yet? Um, we have not had anyone bring that up yet. Um, I That's something I would have to refer to our legal counsel. Um, mm -hmm. I have a suspicion we would be fine because it's not substantively different from, I mean, if you put anything into, say, an email or Dropbox like you, as you used earlier, as an example, I mean, right. just because it goes on our servers doesn't mean that there's a person coming through looking at it. And at the moment, any the only people that do have administrative capabilities are RPA eligible people. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I would have to ask them what would make them feel comfortable. I suspect from a legal standpoint, there's, they probably, I, I would have to refer to my counsel. I, I suspect that legally they don't have a great case to make, but obviously you, you would rather work with people. <laughs> oh, trust me. There's, there's lots of loopholes in the system. They'll, mm -hmm. they'll make you run through the hoops on, on regulation, but yeah, they'll shoot side forms via email and not bat an eye about it. <laughs> so there's, it's a, it's the tech wild frontier out here, um, quite honestly, and they don't really know how to deal with it. Don't even get me started on talk about drones. Yeah, the south. <laughs> yeah, this, the southeast seems to be a lot more interested. We have a, a lot of agencies that are. We, we we have one DOT that's planning a project, and a couple more we're in discussions with. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it, it really depends on who you're dealing with. Uh, but hopefully they'll all come around because they'll see that it's more secure than doing it with uh, with paper, and uh, fewer eyeballs will actually see the information. Yeah, it's definitely something that is interesting in our field that there are so many technologies we could be using, but sometimes the regulations just aren't up to date with what's currently possible. Uh, we'd like to take a break now and have an ad from our sponsors. All right, we're here with Jordan Harbinger from theartofcharm.com again, and we're going to talking about the Art of Charm podcasts. And over the last month, we've had some people write in and comment about The Art of Charm, and they want to know a little more about it. So, Jordan, can you tell us a little more about what they can find on your podcasts? Yeah, absolutely. I know that the term sort of like networking and relationship development is all vague and everything. So, basically, we focus on a lot of things, very broad topics. Our toolkits are focused on things like body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, business networking, negotiation, relationship management, etc. But we also branch into other topics like... I had a guy on the show named Brad Salas, a guest, and he talked about millennials and how they can relate to their bosses better, uh, their boomer bosses, and how boomer bosses can relate to the new millennials better. Because as you can see in workplaces, those are guys are butting heads and it's kids are so dumb these days and it's old people don't get it. And it's just like, if we can bridge that gap, we can be more productive. So we gave a lot of practical exercises and steps to use that. We've also talked about how to burn fat while you're working with weird things like treadmill desks and being cold while you're working in the office to burn calories while you're just sort of being you working all day. And we, we cover hundreds of other things, but those are two kind of concrete examples of it. Hey, and these are real world things you can use. I've actually turned the temperature down in my home office because of that podcast uh, about just being cold because it's something you can do that's easy. Yeah, and there's plenty of guys out there listening to the show who bought these weird ice vests and they're sitting there freezing right now, but, you know, losing weight doing it. So we're weirdos, but we assume we're in good company. 
That's right. Well, you can check out more from The Art of Charm at theartofcharm.com, and you can check out the podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and everywhere you download podcasts. Thank you. So, Chris, I had a question for you about a little bit of the design process mm-hmm. with your application. Is this something that you went and just kind of said, what's my dream application, being an archaeologist out in the field? Or did you test it out with users? Have you gotten feedback on people using it across the different places you've, been, and you've sold the app to? And then what sort of feedback have you gotten on real-world use of the application? Yes, yeah, so, so this is out in the wild. You know, um, when, when we sat down originally... Uh, I and another guy who had originally been in archaeology, but then ended up going back to graduate school for database management, <laughs> um, was my original co-founder. Um, he unfortunately decided to go a different way, so we have a, a different pool of ownership now. Um, but the uh, the original idea was um, some years ago when we had worked together, we had said, you know, this would be so much this would be great if we had uh, back then a, a PDA or whatnot. This was you know back in the days before tablets. Uh, <clears throat> Good old Palm Pilot. Yeah. Oh and yeah. One around here somewhere. Yeah, uh, maybe in a museum. Uh, so the technology caught up, and uh, the fact that the GPS uh, in the Apple products, because it uses both GLONASS, which is the Russian constellation of satellites, and the U.S. GPS satellites. Mm-hmm. Um, which Android devices don't. Uh, it's one of the reasons. Apple. Uh, yeah, uh, well, there were a number of reasons why we went iOS only. Uh, that was a, one of them. Is that uh, it meant that we have a GPS that we can uh, consistently get five meter accuracy, sometimes ten under bad cover. Um, yeah. Though with Archaeogen, every single point, uh, every single shovel test has its own accuracy, horizontal accuracy. So if you get seven points that are out in ten buck two, and the rest aren't. Um, you can determine if the person dug in the wrong place uh, or if it was uh, bad data. If you get trash data, we want you to know. So that's the, one of the fail-safes we put in there. Right, um, you can see kind of the quality of the data and make decisions about, hey, this is something we need point averaging, or I know this one, I'm less confident precisely where this is. Maybe I want to tie it up with, you know, someone had a submeter GPS out there to tie it back with a timestamp or an ID. Yes, and we can get to submeter um, with uh, we can rec- we have an external uh, antenna that we can recommend. Uh, okay. We you know, we we do not make money on these. We don't sell them or anything. But it's um, I believe it's the I what's it called the ISX GNS two or something. Gen- it's made by Genek G E N E Q, uh, and there's a specific one uh, that we recommend. It costs about thirty-three hundred bucks from a reseller. Yeah. Uh, if you wanted yeah. one, there's a few of those on. There's a few of those on the market, and there's more almost every month, it seems. Uh, mm-hmm. But they're all about that price range that I've seen, two to four thousand dollars. Yeah, and they're they're a lot cheaper than Trimble. Of course, it's just the antenna. Yeah. But unlike with a Trimble, it means that your hardware doesn't get out of date because you can every year you can yep. you know, to refresh your hardware. You compare it with but, a different device. And and people need to remember because it's uh, I've seen I actually saw somebody use this a couple years ago. Um, they had the little, it was Bluetooth linked to the tablet and they had the antenna in their backpack. And I was like, you know, that's where the points being taken, right? Is in your backpack, not on the tablet because it's where the antenna is. So then we started uh, Velcroing them to the back of the tablet. Um, to take <laughs> so, <that. laughs> so actually, if you ever rent any of their uh, antennas, they come with these really dorky hats with a pocket <laughs> on top of your head. <laughs> that's where the antenna that's goes. 
That's uh, awesome. Really, yeah, it's a great. Um, it'll really look dorky, but it's you'll you, you can stand on your point then. Oh, I you think I think I wanted to for vertical accuracy. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm about two meters. <laughs> I think I'm gonna ask for an antenna hat for my birthday in April, regardless. <laughs> Um, but to get back to your original question, it was mostly a wish list of what we wished we'd had in the field. And then, you know, I've gone all, you know, I've done all the steps from field tech to crew chief to field director to write and reports. And, uh, you know, I want I, things that I wanted on the back end and stuff that I wanted in the middle. Because I've been on those projects where you have to get nightly updates. And, so you go back to your hotel room and, you know, spend an hour off the clock, you know, putting together, you know, putting things in order, summarizing fines and, you know, whatnot. Um, and so I, we just thought at each step of the way, uh, you know, we want something for everybody. Uh, so for the field techs, we try to make life easier just because a lot of stuff autofills. So they don't have to, they really just have to fill in the stratigraphy and the shovel test number. Uh, for the crew chief and the field directors, the data aggregate <laughs> so that they can get, you know, updates quickly for the PI or the report writer back in the office. Uh, they can do all sorts of stuff with the data, you know, because right now, you know, you don't know who your most productive people are that you maybe want to retain for the next project. You don't know, um, um, you, you don't know, you know, if there's, what, what kind of pattern is going on with your, your site stuff. Like, for instance, uh, with Archeogen, say you have a, uh, a big site that's in a plowed field, and you just want to see quickly, you just want to sort by um, shovel tests that were positive in the second, third, or you know, however many strats, but not the top. You can do that because each shovel test has its own yes-no flag, but it also has, um, you know, each individual strat has its own uh, flag for positive, for prehistoric, historic, both, or neither. Um, so... So that that reminds me of a question, Chris. Um, when we were talking back about data, how the data comes out of the tablet, goes to your offices, gets processed, and comes back. What's the turnaround time for that? And are, are you guys are you guys set up for scalability? Like, if you end up with a hundred clients by May, and you've got everybody sending you data every single day, how scalable is your operation for dealing with those data? Yeah, fantastic. So. Um... We, we provide nightly updates. Usually that means that afternoon, but we say nightly to hedge our bets in case it's a busy day. <laughs> um, so you actually have a human behind every one of these sinks and, and kind of putting the data back out there in Excel? So uh, to double check stuff, um, and we will, as we get more clients, we, we have several developers that you know are constantly working on stuff. Right now they're working on new products, but uh, if scalability becomes a priority beyond getting, say, a phase two, phase three um, application or a, or a pedestrian survey application out the door, uh, then, then um, we'll further automate the procedure. Um, we basically just have someone double check to make sure that when things get translated from JSON format, that's where our files come from, which for those who aren't familiar with it, you can think of it as like a three-dimensional spreadsheet, I guess is the best way to visualize it, and then <laughs> flatten that out to an Excel spreadsheet, and then just make sure you know things make sense, because <laughs> we don't want to send people uh, right. data that doesn't make sense, and obviously we don't want to send just the raw JSON uh, file to most people, because most people... We'll be able to make sense of it. 
yeah. Uh, so uh, we, we have most things automated, but we, we try to we, we put eyes on everything just to double check and make sure it makes sense before we send it to people. Uh, and, and then we, we send it via an encrypted file sharing service. Uh, and we also so post, post the data if they would prefer to not download it themselves, because obviously you're getting uh, a photograph and a form with every shovel test that can add up. So in addition to the Excel spreadsheet, they're also getting the photographs as well. And I assume that the spreadsheet has a link to that photograph in a file so in, folder or something. So in the spreadsheet, yeah, I should have sent you a demo set of data. Um, you can, uh, yeah, each Excel spreadsheet has a link to uh, both the photo photograph of the shovel test as well as the form. Uh, so obviously that's two photo files, uh, a PNG for the photo and a, a JPEG, of the, just a screenshot of the, the form. Um, you know, so, <laughs> uh, you know, we understand if people don't want to batch download everything, uh, so they can just download the spreadsheet, and, you know, because they probably don't want to scroll through hundreds and hundreds of whatever. They probably just want to see the five that are interesting. Um, they can, you know, either download them in, you know, all and then search for them, or they can just click the link in the spreadsheet and, and it's hosted on our server. Um, so how long how long would you host it on your server for? Does, do people have to pay for that service or for a certain amount of time? Yes, so uh, we obviously any project that's on the books, you know, being which we define as having been updated within the last 30 days is free storage. Um, and then we provide people uh, an extra 500 shovel tests beyond that just as a free buffer um, in case they have some small projects, you know, that they just don't feel like taking the, you know, paying someone an hour to clean off all their cell tower projects. Right. <laughs> um, right. And beyond that, we charge one penny per shovel test per month uh, for data storage. Wow. Um, yeah. Data's cheap um, these days. Hmm? Data's cheap these days. Yeah, it is. Um, but, you know, we it does cost us something to store it. And like I say, uh, since there's two photo files with every shovel test, you can see how that adds up um, quickly. So it's we, we really just try to make it cheap enough that people don't bother to migrate it to some other data storage. Um, but there's probably enough data in most projects, after a few projects, that you wouldn't want it just sitting on your <laughs> uh, uh, right. just on, on your, your home computer or if you're a small company or, or your FTP server. So Chris, um Transferring the photo data, as you mentioned, could take a lot of bandwidth. Mm -hmm. One of the conditions that you know field archaeologists typically work in are either you've only got cell phone internet access or you know bad motel Wi-Fi wi access. Do you have kind of case studies of how long it might take to send, say, a hundred shovel tests back with two photos each? Uh, yeah. So, well, it depends because obviously it's going to be if they're split amongst multiple devices. Say you have. You know, three devices each with 35 shovel to 33 shovel tests on them. Uh, it's going to be faster <laughs> uh, unless you're just eating up the whole bandwidth for the hotel. Um, you know, it, yeah, it's just going to depend on your conditions. Like you say, some places are better than others. Um, but you know, what's the alternative? Unfortunately, um, and, and I should point out that we that Archaeogen does not require data plan. Uh, you know, this stuff is all local on the machine, and you wait till you get to Wi-Fi to upload. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you're you are interested in loading our software on your tablets, you do not need a data plan. Though you do need one that is uh, a tablet that is GPS enabled, which many of the Wi-Fi only models are not. Um, yeah. So I guess to get back to your original question, we don't have a lot of feedback yet. Nobody's actually said anything one way or the other. I guess we should ask. Okay. Them. 
And then on your back end, uh, are you kind of hosting the files yourself, or do you have like an account with like Amazon S3 cloud storage or something that lets uh, you yeah, so robust storage? Uh, we use the same back end that Facebook does. This is not some Mickey Mouse FileMaker Pro kind of stuff. We're using the real professional stuff because we, we need scalability because uh, otherwise uh, data storage would eat us alive as well as we don't want to down the road have to migrate the data anywhere because that's a mess yeah. um, because you know we want if say we have a client that's been with us for a year they have you know 20,000 shovel tests across three states you know stored with us and they come to us and say we want to we want you to help us make a uh, a predictive model that's not just, you know, is there a site nearby and is there water nearby? You know, you know adjust things for time of day because different lighting, your person, um, you know, whatever. You know, if they had some kind of big need like enterprise need like that, then obviously it helps for us to have it all in one place and in a, a, a format that, that comes quickly to us um, as far as moving things around. That's great. Uh, so before Chris Webster left, he had uh, two more questions for you. Mm -hmm. uh, first, he was asking about maybe some more details on your tablet <laughs> rental program and then the licensing program to if they could license the software. Okay, what was that first question? Uh, about your tablet rental program. If you know a new yes. client came to you and say, hey, I've got a small survey. I'm maybe going to have a crew of five out there, one crew chief, and say four techs. Yeah, and I want them all to have tablets and be recording each shovel test, and I want the crew chief to have their own thing to kind of do the management side of it. Yeah. So, so what happens is you call us up. You, you know, we discuss this, and uh, our standard price is 125 a week per tablet, because um, we do the tablets in seven day by the week. Just so we did by the day, then people would argue about whether or not we're charging them for weekends, and it's just better to because <laughs> uh, people do. Some people do, you know, four on. Um, Three off, some do you know ten on. Four off, some do five days a week. Uh, so again, just to not have people think that we're nickel and diming them. It's by the week, you know. It's just it's just for a seven day period. So what what you get is you get your you get an iPad Mini, uh, sixteen gigabyte, uh, first generation because it's really overkill from computing capacity. Uh, but it's the cellular model again, no data package, but the cellular model has the GPS and GLONASS chip. Uh, which is vital for taking the GPS coordinates. Uh, you, we sent along some styluses because some people prefer styluses. You know, a lot of people are used to pencil and clipboard. Uh, or if it's cold or you just your hands are dirty, you don't want to, you know, for whatever reason, some people like fingers, some people like styluses. Uh, and, um, of course, power cords and whatnot. Um, so we, we do send them along with uh, ruggedized cases that are military-grade. They're shockproof to seven seven feet. Uh, they are submersible, supposedly. You know, I, I submerged them in the bathtub to test each one, but I haven't ever, like, <laughs> left it in the river, <laughs> you know, and come back later. Um, and we, we uh, so we charge 120 our base price, which we do offer some discounts to nonprofits and, you know, you know people can, or if it's a, a large, <laughs> a large customer, uh, bulk discounts and stuff. Um, and then we also, whatever applicable sales tax, because that depends on where you are and where I am. Um, so it's different for every customer, unfortunately. And shipping costs get passed through as well, because if you need them overnight, that's expensive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so we, we try to get people, you know, where, whereas if you call me on a Friday, um, say I need eight of these shipped to Kentucky or, you know, Ohio or wherever, then, you know, that's a little more reasonable than I need them today. <laughs> uh, uh uh, and we, we, we don't really want to be in the hardware rental business, but we know that a lot of people, 
uh, if you're just doing a small survey, or you have your own fleet of tablets, but you have a big project for two months, uh, it might not make sense to purchase a lot of a lot of tablets. And then you uh, also have the hassle of maintaining them, you know, because uh, you know, what if somebody walks off with them or goes off a cliff or you know whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and we do charge people if they lose them, um, though we give a significant discount if they send back the carcass. Because <laughs> so our, yeah. our insurance is such that we uh, have to turn in the, substantively the whole thing uh, so that they know that we don't have a drawer full of them that we're claiming our loss. Uh, so, um, you know, the, the big thing is make sure nobody walks off with them, which if the crew chief collects them every day, then that shouldn't be a problem. Now, if you have your own tablets, we have software as a service which our base price for that is 85 cents a shovel test. Um, and again, we do offer some discounts to large clients and to nonprofits uh, and, and uh, academics. Uh, and, uh, you know, that we, we offer unlimited licenses. Uh, so, uh, for instance, um, I'm talking with a, a university right now that's interested for their field school. You know, uh, normally we would say, well, it doesn't matter how many you have. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you want to run it on your own tablets, we, we charge by how much you use it because if you're not using it, it doesn't seem fair to make you pay for it. So um, we can, if, if people have special situations where they would prefer a lump sum license, we can do that. Uh, only paying when they use it because then when times are slow, your company's not sending money to those. <laughs> Because this is a feast or famine, uh, you know, industry, and particularly if you're a small company, you got to be able to manage your cash flow. So if you don't have money coming in, it doesn't make sense to have money going out. Yeah, that's a model I've seen used by some other technology companies, especially getting an archaeologist to adopt these technologies is renting the equipment at least to start with, so that archaeologists don't have to worry about maintaining it, spending a large amount of overlay to buy a drone or buy a fleet of tablets. Um, and then not have to worry about the upgrade cycle of constantly making sure they have the newest thing if they need it. Um, do you have a process for wiping off the old data with the rental unit whenever it comes back? And then if it's a rental unit, can archaeologists also install other things like PDF readers and uh, say source documents if they have like uh, projectile point typologies that they went about in the field? Uh, so to start with, can people alter it? We have these things locked down pretty well. Um, I mean, I okay. suppose if you're smart, you can figure out a way to load something, but we don't want people putting angry birds on there and then they are in the field sitting around. And, and then I, you know, I get a phone call from somebody, oh, well, you just gave a big video game toy to my employees. No wonder they're not digging. Um, and we want people to have a, a, a good... Uh, a good experience, <laughs> so we keep it simple. Um, so you, you can't alter, you can't add or delete apps, uh, or even use Safari, because uh, we don't want people to have the temptation to let the crew take these back to their hotel rooms, because that's okay. when they disappear. Um, um, what was your the first half of your question? Oh, uh, so wiping the data. Uh, so when uh, the tablet connects to our server, it has to make a secure connection or it's rejected. Uh, so you don't have to worry about a man in the middle, you know, even though you're on open Wi-Fi, um, we don't want someone snagging your data. I don't think shovel tests are generally very sensitive data, but regulators, the, yeah. they ask these questions. These are questions that I get all the time. Uh, so, it, you know, another reason we use iOS, it's, it's encrypted on, you know, on the device. Uh, you know, the NSA was recently not very happy about that. We do secure connection to our server, which is secure. And then we use a, an encrypted file encryption for 
getting the data to our clients. So at every step of the way. Uh, now, once it makes a secure connection and successfully uploads a form, uh, it double checks to make sure that that actually happened. Uh, and then it, it wipes the form locally. So uh, you don't have the previous day's forms on your, uh, on, on your tablet. And also, um, you know, the rental units, uh, you have to log in as a certain client, so each company, and if they want to, to divide it up more than that within a company, uh, have their own logins. So, um, you know, TRC can't see URS's data even if it gets left on the, on the uh, tablet and we somehow didn't catch that it was still there. There's, there's not a lot of room for seeing someone else's data or even just stockpiling data and making your machine slow. Right. That seems like a big worry for a lot of companies, regardless of sometimes whether it's warranted or not. I know Chris has talked in the past about even photos on site uh, getting out, even if they're not of site things, can sometimes pe lead people back to locations. And while it may seem far-fetched at times, there are sometimes people out there looking and being aware of if a photo gets posted on Twitter and has geolocational data, you know, you might come back in a year, six months, two weeks and find that site looted because of that picture you posted. Well, people also, it's it's good to point out that the field techs do not have direct access to the files. Um, you know, they can alter the shovel test form, take a new photo, you know, edit the form, but they, they can't get the photo file, they can't get the shovel test form. Um, you know, it's, it's not accessible to them at all. They just create the data, they can't get it off. That's great. That does seem like a good reason to have it additionally locked down. All right. Well, unfortunately, I think that's about all the time we have uh, today on the show. Chris, I want to thank you for being on the t show and talking to us about some of the work that you're doing and some of the work doing next, uh, new technologies and introducing that to the field. If people are interested in the program, do you have a URL that you'd like to give them or a Twitter contact uh, in order to contact you about the program? Yes. So uh, Field Technologies is on Facebook, uh, first of all. <clears throat> so feel free to go give us a like. Uh, you can also go to our, our website, which is www.fieldtechnologiesinc.com. So fieldtechnologiesinc.com. And uh, you can sign up for our newsletter. We have a bi-weekly newsletter. Uh, I think I added you to our list so you could see the last one. Uh, and people can contact us uh, on our website there. They can poke around, see a case study or two, um, and learn a little bit more about what we do. Great. I hope some of our users take you up on that. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the future of the field. The CRM Archaeology Podcast brings together a panel of cultural resource management professionals to discuss the issues that really matter to the profession. Find out about networking strategies, job hunting, graduate programs, and much more. We'll often feature interviews with college professors, CRM business owners, and experts as well. Check out the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash CRM Arc Podcast. Let's get back to the show. That's it for another episode of the Archaeotech Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes of this podcast, which can be found at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash archaeotech.
If you like the show and want to comment, please do. You can leave comments about this or any other episode on the website or on the iTunes page for this episode. You can also email us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com or use the contact form on the podcast webpage. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or tweet your questions with the hashtag archaeotech or tag at archpodnet in your tweet. Please share the link to this show wherever you saw it. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. You can also type the name of the podcast into your favorite podcasting app and subscribe that way. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It helps us get noticed so more people can find our podcast and benefit from the content. Also, send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US dollars a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.